Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. Describe your earliest faith slash spirituality. So enjoy that question together. We'll be back in a couple minutes here. Good morning, family. Welcome back. Um, I'm Mark Fields, like we said before, and I get the joy and honor of sharing this morning. Uh, when I walked into the um, intergalactic headquarters of New Abbey, um, Paul and Mark asked me if I'm nervous to share. And I said, it's not nervous. It's that um, this space feels so sacred and beautiful and other and lovely to me that it feels like such a precious opportunity to get to speak into it. Um, when Corey asked me, I thought about the importance of the diverse voices that speak in this space or the diverse people we get to see and hear from, like Emily, who have done incredible work. And so if you're on the other side of the screen, you're one of those people, an incredible human being, and you come with a story, and we want to hold that story. This is a space big enough uh, with a theology hospi uh, hospitable enough uh, to hold your story, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, so I'm really thankful to share today about the way Psalms invite us into our creative power. But to do that, first... We're going to have to do some things. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Inside joke, inside joke, inside joke, inside joke. I'm just going to read Psalms 23. We're going to get rocking and rolling, all right? We're going to read the old version, and then we'll, we'll get rocking and rolling, rocking and rolling. All right. Psalms 23 from King James Version. David's writing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> he makes me to lie down in green pastures. I, produce, I pronounce maketh makes, so excuse me. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I, uh, I heard this. I memorized this scripture when I was young in a program, in a ministry called Royal Rangers, right? So it's like, Little, it's, it's Christian Boy Scouts. So you learn all the knots, you wear all the browns, and you like do all the things. Um, but to me, that space, it was really helpful for me to be in a space with healthy um, men who cared about me. I grew up in a home, uh, my, my parents split when I was five. And so that kind of created some internal identity stuff that I, um, that was uh, really shaping me. Um, I think about like internalized identity. So I really felt poor, I, I, and I knew I was poor because I was eating top ramen hot dogs all the time. Um, but I really felt worthless because if I was worth something more, then maybe my father would have been here. And I felt inadequate because I, I couldn't do much. And if I was enough, then maybe my father would have been here. And I felt powerless because I couldn't change the circumstances that my family was in, no matter what I wanted to do. And in the context of where I was learning, where I grew, and uh, in this church kind of uh, message, 
it was kind of a prosperity gospel kind of space. And so the message is that God's got you and God loves you. And that's true. But the way that that happens, it undercuts um, the way we move forward. So it undercut my creative power or the way uh, Martin Luther King would say, my divine agency. Martin Luther King, growing up in a space where people would say, oh, well, God can change that. And Martin Luther King will mobilize people to say, we will be a part of that changing. And so that kind of theology undercut my ability to participate, my creative power. And so it was like, okay, well, I just pray to God and then God does it. And then if God doesn't do it, then I just pray to God some more. And it, that belief kind of undercut my creative power. And I think there are many of us uh, together who have that kind of experience where your creative power has been undercut by a belief or a theology or understanding of who God is that doesn't need you to act. And some of us come to this space with experiences that undercut our creative power. We've experienced trauma or people messaging that we've internalized that have become our identity, that make us feel less than that, make us feel we don't have power. We don't have anything that we can do. We're undercut by that. All kinds of experiences and identities that undercut our belonging. And so we wake up to these emotions. We wake up to these attractions. And all of a sudden, we're no longer welcome in the spaces where we once were welcome. We wake up to new understandings of our cultural identity. And we start to see oppression and suppression all around us. And we feel like, where is my creative power? Today, I'm going to read, reread the scripture from the Tim Shell Bible, which a friend of mine, uh, Bonnie Lewis, rewrote. She used her creative power to reinterpret some of the Bible stories. It's absolutely incredible. You can check it out at timshelltranslations.com. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. So we come to Psalms, this space where David has had his own personal experiences with God. Nobody can undercut your personal experiences with God. So you could tell me one thing is true, but when I have sensed God's voice speaking to me and affirming me and welcoming me and calling me forward, you can't undercut that. And so we find David, David the young guy, he's a huge part of the story of Christianity and of Jesus and of the Jews. As a young boy, he's the kind of outcast young brother. He has to go do the dishes, pick up the dog poop, all the kind of stuff, right? He's that guy. And one day, the prophet comes to his house and says, look, I'm looking for the next king of Israel. And he's the one chosen. And then he goes out to live into that creative power. One day, he gets sent to go send his brother some food. He brings the food, and he hears this nine-and-a-half-foot giant dude talking crazy about the God that he's heard these different stories about. No, this, this God is no punk. This is the God who liberated us from slavery in Egypt. This is the God who drew us out into freedom and taught us how to be free. That God, this guy can't talk to our God like that. So then he faces this giant, kills this giant, and the people love him for it. He eventually becomes king after a lot of warfare and a lot of political moves. Puts his kingdom right in Jerusalem, the middle of the upper kingdom, lower kingdom of Judah and Israel to unite the kingdom. And then he becomes comfortable and finds himself 
at home when he's supposed to be at war. And some of his, uh, I want to call him, some of his, uh, we'll call him demons, because everybody calls him demons, but I don't mean spiritual demons. Uh, some of his, his uh, what do I say here? Uh, some of who he is, some of the places that aren't yet healed, aren't yet transformed, aren't yet mature, show themselves. And so he ends up uh, sleeping with one of his boy's wife. And then he has his boy killed by some of his other boys. And it becomes the crack in his armor. It becomes the chink in the trust of his kingdom. That's the first one. He keeps making moves. And then his son starts sleeping with the women in his harem, his wives, and then tries to unite the northern kingdom against him. And he goes to war and ends up killing his son. And that's where I believe he, we find him writing this psalm. It isn't the victorious psalm that we've heard it to be. This, this moment where he's confronting what's real and trying to remind himself Oh, God is good. Oh, I do have creative power. Let me read to you from the Tim Shell version. This is David. Yahweh is like a shepherd to me. And I cannot help but trust him. I cling to this hope that a time is near where I will have every need fulfilled. I repeat this to myself. A time is near where I will have every need fulfilled. Because if I let it go, I fear I'm in danger of turning to evil. Revenge is calling my name. And at the thought of this, I close my eyes and I can see him now. The shepherd compels me toward a different path. The grass is cool beneath me and the sun is shining on my face. I'm sprawled out in lush fields and I'm warm and I'm safe. And when I'm in need, he leads me to untroubled waters. And finally, I'm at peace. <sighs> Inhale and exhale. In and out, his spirit makes me come alive again. She leads me on never-ending paths of righteousness. They go around and around and around again, over and over, covering the whole earth. Every avenue is marked with his name, and I have a choice to make. And swiftly, I'm pulled out of this hope. And darkness threatens to surround me. Deep, dark ravines are before me. And death is imminent. I close my eyes tighter still. And I repeat what I want to be true. I will not fear the path of wickedness. It does not have to consume me. It will not have the final word. I will not fear the path of wickedness. It does not have to consume me. It will not have the final word. 
I will not fear the path of wickedness. It does not have to consume me and it will not have the final word. I'm still the sheep and I see the shepherd beside me. His rod and staff comfort me. It's his job to watch over the flock. Rescue is his name. You are arranging a table before me, Yahweh. I can see you now. It's overflowing with goodness and plenty. Abundance is the main ingredient of every dish. Beauty in every drink. All the falsehoods within me are also laid out on the table. They are marked by scarcity, vengeance, and lies. They are my enemies. Which will become my feast? Will I delight in goodness or let evil become my sustenance? How can I live in a world of evil and not let it rule over me? Timshell is on the table. Meditating again, I close my eyes and you are there. You anoint my head with oil. You call me your own, even in the face of darkness, when there is no hope and the choice is hard, the decision still belongs to me. I envision myself walking the path with your name on it and I'm taken back to Eden. You meet me there. We sit and eat and my cup overflows. I want goodness and mercy to be in constant pursuit of me so I never have to choose. It feels too hard and the pressure too great. But to this table and with this feast, I know I will return. For it is my invitation to choose if I will dwell in the house of Yahweh today and forevermore. A different reading. A, a reading compiled in a time where the people of God They've watched what they've known to be true, to be shattered. The temple is broken down. The thing that used to provide comfort and imagination and awe and wonder was broken. And many of us, you felt that. The spaces that used to provide comfort, they are broken down. As you see things that don't feel like God seep through the language, seep into papers that describe what is true and what is not. And the temple is broken. And the people of God are again in captivity. And they put together this, the book of the Psalms to remind them, these prayers. God is still good. God is still in our corner. And COVID has been crazy. I had to alliterate that. I was going to say gnarly, and then crazy came to it. Right? <laughs> COVID has been really crazy. It has exacerbated some of the things that were already there. And where there was marital kind of challenge, it got worse and it got tense and it got intensified. And where there was anxiety and depression, it got worse and it got intensified. And those spirals came sooner 
and sooner. It has made things worse. And we've seen beautiful things in COVID and challenging things in COVID, but it feels similar. And the Psalms would remind us today, God is still for you. God is good. God does inspire us to pursue the places where flourishing and thriving happens. And the people who were in captivity had this book that would remind them, oh, God is still good. I can still flourish even though I'm experiencing this challenge. They're still flourishing and still thriving. And I have a part to play. I don't get to just swirl into that, that loop. So David kind of models this. I'm so tempted right now. My own son, everything's falling apart. The jangle blocks of my kingdom. But you're still good. They're still flourishing. You've invited me to that. And he reminds himself and he practices this creative power. And we all have that creative power. And I would say to you, in the middle of COVID, I think about now the image that we have of a shepherd. Jesus Christ, who would give his whole life, who lived his life against the powers that be to say there's a new reality. No, you heard that. I'm telling you this. And it wasn't something different, completely different. It was the full embodiment, the other, the holy, the new. And so when you feel those pressures start to spiral, we have this opportunity. Please know that the God of the universe would say, I love you this much to suffer with you. And we say this all the time at New Abbey, but you have to hear it. It wasn't because God was so angry at the parts of you that aren't yet healed and aren't yet transformed. It was because God was so committed to compelling you, to showing you, to inspiring you to believe. I will stop at nothing, withhold nothing from you, give you everything I have and show you a new way to flourishing and thriving, no matter the circumstances. And so he gave his life in the face of that death, still thriving, and then rose to, to life again. The resurrection power, Paul would say, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And you have to know that no matter how dark it feels right now, there is new life. I think about the breakups that have happened through COVID. Really challenging. I say breakups because I don't even want to say divorce. So challenging. Triggering all those voices and those wounds that you have. Maybe I'm not enough. No, you're enough. And there's new life to be had. There will be thriving even though it doesn't feel that way right now. And so Psalms 23 invites us to that. I think about the ways that actually works out. I think about the practices that we can do. And we've said this as a community. There's a way that we do this that can be reactive, and we have to react when we feel those, those emotions. 
And there's a way we can be proactive. I think about the, the core is how do we remind ourselves, reorient ourselves to what is true? In, a, in our small group, I'm going to shout out my small group people, right? This week, we talked about some of these, these practices. I don't know how we got there, but we got there. And one of the brothers there, Dan Previtt, who's an incredible actor, an incredible mixologist, and you should follow him because he's the man, right? They testify, the spirit bears witness. All right. So, but he talked about this practice that he learned from, from a podcast about meditating and orienting ourselves to, to what is really true. And he said, he, you take this deep breath and kind of feel your body and let it be. And we use our, our body to remind us that my God loves me. In the face of every challenge, when all the pressures to perform on our job and to be the best person I can be in my circumstances, with my partner, with my kids, my God loves me. Meditation and that practice to orient ourselves to that truth. And another person in the small group, Jenny B., talked about prayer is different than that because prayer acknowledges that I don't have it all inside myself so I can orient myself to the truth, but there is God who is other than me and powerful and can meet me. And so prayer is those times that we reach out. I'm at the end. I don't know what to do here. And I need help and guidance, please. And th those are some of the ways I think that we react, but creating a discipline of those practices at the time of day that works for you. Pastor Eric, he walks every day super, super early in the morning to create silence and space between the urgent in his life. So creating those disciplines gives you the rhythm to, to walk in. For me, one of the most important rhythms of confession is therapy. It has been magical, lovely, incredible for me. To tell the truth and to discover, well, what really is my truth? But I think that when we move from that healing and the transformation, to be mature in all of this means I will create a rhythm. This is where we kind of exert the creative power. I will create a rhythm. I will be mature because they're not going to create themselves. And if we don't create those rhythms, we'll just get kind of swirled away. I think smaller groups is a great rhythm. Every Blankety-blank night, every Tuesday night in Santa Monica, on my Zoom, I know that when I can't see what's true and when I can't quite feel the truth of, what God, of who God is, that there are people around me who will remind me of what's true. They can see it for me when I can't see it for myself. That's what I love about when this was compiled. Because yes, it's true. Yes, the temple is gone. Yes, some of your family, they've rejected you. Yes, some of this stuff is imminent. The divorce is real, yes. But there's something that's even more true than that. You are loved. You are enough. You are not alone. You have creative power. And so today, Psalms 23 reminds us, no matter the circumstances, your God loves you. Yahweh, God, the completely other, loves you. And you have creative power.
to experience that and to live into that and to live out of that reality. So we're going to go back into our Zoom groups to discuss. You know, these questions are always super easy, right? So this is the second easy question, which is, where do you sense the invitation to creative power in your life? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.